0: Um, I I couldn't help um, but get this cliche out of my head uh, for at least the back half of the week. Um, It's an old, somewhat cynical cliche that we Christians use from time to time. Everyone, I'm guessing, in this room has said it at one point in time, either to ourselves or to one another, be careful for what you pray for. And we know that the classic example of that is, I prayed to God for patience. And what's the answer to that? God sent me trials. Not the way we want him to answer our prayers. God, I want patience. My grandmother, my dear beloved grandmother, had this little, what is it, a a teabag rest or teabag holder or spoon holder on her stove. I can remember it it as a boy and it said, it said, Lord, give me patience. Lord, give me patience. And then underneath it, but hurry up. (laughs) We're like that. Last week, we we cast a vision for the new calendar year from Ephesians chapter four, and part of that vision that was casted was uh, uh, um, included the asking of one another to pray for personal and corporate unity and maturity. Remember, remember those words? I, I asked that of you individually and then of us corporately as well, that we would pray for unity and maturity in the body of Christ, that praying, as the title in the text in Ephesians 4 said, that we would grow up in every way into Christ. It's like like the mother who buys the clothes for the young daughter and buys them just a tad too big. Mommy, I don't want to wear this shirt today. It's too big. Honey, you'll grow into it. In one way, this is what Ephesians 4 had to say to us. Jesus might appear to be too big to us, but the Father says to us, don't worry. You'll grow into him. That's our calling, and it's something that we're capable of doing. As I tell you all the time, God doesn't require anything he doesn't provide and enable us. To embrace, we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, that every spiritual blessing, every one, there's no exceptions, no footnotes, there's no Dead Sea Scroll, every spiritual blessing that you need for life and godliness has been given to us where? In Christ. So let's grow up in every way into Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. He's the one who enables And he's the goal into which we're growing. What are you doing? I'm growing into Christ. Where do you want to go? I want to go into Christ. Because he's already in me. I'm already in him. I want to grow into this, which right now might be a little too big for me. And then on on Epiphany Wednesday, the church calendar, Epiphany was Wednesday, the revealing of Jesus to the world, center stage. And then on Epiphany Wednesday... Last week happened, and I was rattled, and I'm still rattling, as to how all this works. It was a week when many in the name of Jesus acted in ways entirely contrary to the words and ways of Jesus, to the kingdom rule of the Christ, certainly not any way near what we just heard read to us in Romans chapter 12. It was a week that... that that I am utterly convinced calls for self-examination, that calls for church examination, that calls frankly for lament and repentance, that calls for spirit-fueled change. I don't think anybody is outside of those guidelines. This morning, as I've already said to you, I, like the Apostle Paul, not in every way, but in this way, like the Apostle Paul, want to appeal to you by the mercies of God. Please hear me when I say that to you. I literally want to appeal to you this morning by the mercies of God. And I've been praying that I'll be at least reasonably successful in doing that. I'm not just going to appeal to you. I'm going to appeal to you by the mercies of God. I need to remind myself of that, and I'm doing that right now publicly in front of all of you, that by the mercies of God is the banner that's flying over my head right now that enables me in the spirit of Paul to appeal to you exactly as he did. This is what my calling is, not to give you anything new. I'm a repeater. I'm not one who has many original thoughts, and I'm glad for that. John wanted me to do the sound check this morning first because, in his words, with the John Christensen glint in his eye, said to me, because you're the star of the show. I knew what he was doing, but I, glint in my own eye, said back to him, no, I'm not the star of the show, but I have the privilege of pointing to the star of the show. And that's what I want to do. Like the apostle, I want to appeal to you by the mercies of God. Two things. We're going to stay in 12, 1 and 2 for a couple of weeks. You just can't get 12, 1, and 2 done in one shot unless you want to stay till 5 or 6 o'clock today. But I know this football on, and I know some of you are already thinking, you know, let's, let's go, let's go. So in verse 1, my appeal is this. Let us offer ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Okay, that's my first appeal out of Romans 12:1. Let us offer ourselves to God wholeheartedly. And I'm going to show you where I get those words. Here's my second appeal out of the second verse. Let us negatively not be conformed to this age. More to, more to, more to be said, God willing, in the weeks to come. But for today, this is what, what a, a dual appeal. Positively, that we offer ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Second appeal... Negatively, is that we not be conformed to this age. Or your English translations say this world. More on that in just a moment. Okay, let's look at the first appeal under the spirit-guided apostle, and I pray now the spirit-guided preacher that's standing in front of you, making no claims to be an apostle. Let us offer ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Paul's appeal always always. And the same is true of all New Testament authors. Their appeals are always rooted, grounded in the character and compassion of God. Make sure you hear that. No command in the New Testament is given to you apart from the character and compassion of good of God Almighty and what it is that he's done for us in Christ Jesus. How do I know this? Well, if if you're looking there in 12, 1 and 2, just let your eye wander up above that a little bit and listen to what Paul says as he pivots into the 12th chapter when he says in 11:33, 33, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. Who's known the mind of the Lord, who's been his counselor, who's given him a gift that he must be repaid. The implication clearly is there is no one and never will be. For from him, 36 of 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And now I'll appeal. You hear me? You've heard me say this for years in this pulpit. Appeals follow from the character of God. Grace abounds. It's the mercies of God that enable, that fuel the appeals. If we reverse it, we lose the essence of the gospel. You are good and in good standing with God because you're in Christ. Or as one of my post-it notes on my desk in my office say, goodness is a fruit of the spirit, not a righteousness scale tipper. Paul's appeal is rooted in the character and compassion of God. And I belabor this point so that you sit back and take a big, deep breath and realize that the pressure's off. You're not called to perform. You're called to live in this mercy and allow it to run through you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters is the implication, by the mercies of God. So there is his winding down of 11. Actually, it's the winding down of chapters 1 to 11. I shared that with you back in November before Advent. And then he pivots. Therefore, now I'm going to appeal. I've spent 11 chapters showing you the character of God in Christ, and now comes the appeal. So if you read this and say, man, I can't do any of this, read 1 to 11 again. Oh, yeah, that's right. All of those mercies are mine. And so now, once appropriated, I can live out the appeals that Paul's going to make. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Let me, let me just give you five of the mercies. They're, they're countless in 1 to 11. I'm going to give you five highlights. Just, just bang them right out here for you. What mercies of God? What are they? Well, here's one. It's the power of the gospel, Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's the theme verses of the entire book that's yours. The power of the gospel has, made, has been made known to you that you might make it known to others. Secondly, in 3, 24 and 25, we have the grace of our justification. Listen to these outstanding words. We are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, the one who would bear the wrath of God. How did he do it? By his blood to be received by faith. That's One of the mercies of God that is yours. Third, the love of the cross of Christ. Romans 5 and verse 8, God shows his love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a mercy of God that is yours. Fourth, Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, our reunion with Christ in death and resurrection For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's a mercy of God. In your baptism, you were dead and buried with Christ. To be raised with Christ, and now as Paul would tell the church, a Colossae seated at the right hand of the Father. Profound mystery that right now you and I are not only here, but we're also in heaven. Seated at the right hand of glory in the Son before the Father. I would say that qualifies as a mercy of God. Fifth. Fifth of 125th. 815, Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, our adoption in the Spirit. You see how Trinitarian I'm trying to be? Father, Son, and Spirit. 815, Romans You did not receive the spirit of slavery. Church, hear this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoptions. Adoption as sons by whom we cry. You hard task master, trigger happy, thunderbolt and lightning thumping God is not what the text says. But because of your adoption, by the Spirit, you can cry, Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment. It's when I call my wife Honey. We call our Father Abba. Mercies of God, these are yours. And that's only five. I mean, just, I picked and choose. I mean, you can, you can just go through the chapters and see the great, list of mercies that are yours. Paul says, I appeal to you in light of that, in light of the fact that you've known the power of the gospel. I appeal to you in light of the fact that you've, you've known the grace of your justification, in light of the fact that you're a lover of the cross of Christ and what he's done, of our union with Christ and death and resurrection and of our adoption in the spirit. In light of all those things, I now appeal to you, he says. All these and many more, Paul summarizes, as the mercies of God upon which he builds And makes this appeal. And what is the nature of the appeal? Just keep reading verse one with me. The nature of the appeal in view of God's mercies is to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, listen, because Paul's appeal is rooted in God, it's acceptable to God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Because Paul's appeal is rooted in God, it is acceptable to God. So those of us who struggle with certain things and think that we're never, ever accepted by God, we need to get 12.1 of Romans into us. Because based on the character and compassion of God, he's now making this appeal. And the appeal is to give ourselves whole bodily, whole person. This is Paul's shorthand for the entire person. You cannot divvy up God any more than you can divvy up yourself. I'm going to give 50% to the Lord today, and 50% is going to stay over here. I want to go party with my friends because the NFL playoffs are going on. I'll come back to God later on. Not I. That's what Paul was saying, because of the mercies of God, and follow the logic, the spiritual logic of the text. When you understand the mercies of God, is there anything that you want to withhold from God? You think, but pastor, I got those dark corners of my soul that I know about, you don't. Yeah, that may be true, but he does. And he still loves you. And he wants you to come. an embodied whole person appeal. Offer your bodies, not just your minds, not just a part of you. It's shorthand for saying the whole ball of wax. Embodied. Christianity, Christian theology is an embodied theology. Woe unto the theologian who stays in in his or her ivory tower. That is not orthodox Christian theology. Christian theology, Christianity is on the ground. It's embodied. Costly appeal. appeal. Your offering of yourself as a living sacrifice. It's language of the priesthood and an offering. We are God's go-between, if you please, between heaven and earth, if I may say that. So when you, by the mercies of God, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You are doing it primarily on behalf of others. Like the priest at the altar making the offering on behalf of the sinful people. That's, That's the language that's tied up with this idea of sacrifice. Paul describes himself regularly as a sacrifice. I'm being poured out like a sacrifice. And then what does he say? On your behalf. So Paul's appeal is all-bodied, all-in, and it's costly. It's sacrificial. Paul's appeal is also pleasing to God. It's a pleasing-to-God appeal, holy and acceptable to God. Paul's encouraging you and me in this very moment. I'm making this appeal because this appeal, when followed through, is holy and acceptable to God. You, 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 you don't have to appease him. He's been appeased. You're holy and acceptable to him because of what he's done for us in Christ. Paul's appeal is an all-life, private and public uh, appeal. This is your spiritual worship. I do not like the word spiritual here right now. The English versions trip all over themselves to try to get it. Let me give you just a real small sidebar lesson right here, right now. There are a couple of Greek words that probably you have picked up over the years, and you know how I feel about using the original language in the pulpit. I tell that little wink-wink joke. The original biblical languages are like underwear. Absolutely necessary for support, but should never be seen in public. That's how I feel about them. I really do. I'm glad somebody gave me that line 100 years ago. Because that's the way I feel about it. I don't want you thinking you can't read the Bible because you don't know Greek and Hebrew. You can. But somewhere along the lines, you learn a couple of Greek words. You've all heard of the word agape. right? Agape means what? Right. You've all heard the word koinonia, right? What does koinonia mean? Fellowship. Fellowship, right? You probably have heard the word logos, or logos, the word, right? That's the word right here, okay? End of the Greek lesson. I'm putting my clothes back on. But that's the word right there. It's the word worship, so it gets translated as, that's your rational worship, that's your spiritual worship. Now let's stay right with the word. It's one, one author says, it's wordy. In other words, your worship swirls around the word. So that's what your worship is all about, private and public. It's about whole-bodied, all-in, and this is your word worship, if you please caught up in the word himself, Jesus Christ. Cooking and cleaning, eating and exercising, working and shopping and lovemaking and TV watching, all acts of worship in the classroom, the boardroom, the bedroom and the bathroom, all acts of worship in light of God's mercies. There's no sacred, secular distinction for the Christian. I'm in church right now. Holy. Sacred. I'm going to go to stop and shop right after church today. Secular. No, 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 no. If you're a different person in stop and shop, even when somebody cuts you off than you are right now, you need more of Romans 12, 1 and 2. More importantly, you need more of the mercies of God drenching you. There's nothing. Abraham Kuyper, deeply influential person in my life, Statesman, European statesman, Christian leader has one of the most famous lines uttered in the last couple of centuries in Christian history. There's not one square inch of your life over which God does not say mine. There's not one square inch of your life over which God does not say mine. That's liberating can be terrifying, I find it to be incredibly liberating. Nothing, nothing that you do, nowhere you go is outside of the view of God. And so in the restaurant, in the bar, in the mall, in the living room, worship. This is your, to use this language, this is your spiritual worship. Umbrella by the mercies of God. Paul here, watch this now. This is going to get close to the bone. Paul here is urging, try to imagine this, Rome, Rome. First century New York City. Paul is saying to Roman Christians, he's appealing to them. He's urging them all to go all in, to radically orient their lives Godward, to trust him fully. Now move it up 20 centuries, and God is asking New York City, God is asking American Christians to go all in for him. For him. As one writer said this week, we serve the purposes of God, not the politics of men. I needed to hear that. I think you need to hear that under the mercies of God. Paul told Rome, and by extension, Paul, by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is telling now New York City, Staten Island, all of America, who will listen, that they must forego. all offering their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Paul's second appeal in the second verse follows right from this, obviously, is not only that we're to offer ourselves wholeheartedly to God, but we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this age. That's what the NIV says. What we're reading here says that we are not to be conformed to this world. The New Living Translation goes even a step further in explaining it and says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. That gets right at it. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Do not be conformed, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. This is one verse. This is one verse in Holy Scripture that's calling us not to emulate the ways of the world. In its present tense, you've heard me talk about this in the past. What Paul is literally saying here is stop being conformed to the pattern of this age. I take great comfort in that. Why? I take great comfort in that because it suggests to me that Paul was wide-eyed to the fact that Christians, even good, solid, mature Christians, can't help but to some degree be conformed by the pressure of the age that they're in. It was true in first century Rome. It's true in 21st century Staten Island. Paul knows the powers and principalities that are at work in the world. Much more on this, God willing, next week. He assumes, as I just said, at least to a certain degree, that the Roman and American Christians are being pressed into the world's mold. He assumes that. And based on the mercies of God, he says, stop it. Stop being conformed. Stop looking just like the world. We'll spend more time on this verse next week, but for now, all I want to do is highlight the subtlety of conformity. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today, I'm going to be like the world. I liken it to addiction. Nobody wakes up on any given morning and says, today, I'm going to become an addict. You become an addict over a long period of time and it starts ever so small. Just one drop when I was 14 and then a bottle when I was 16 Then then two bottles by the time I was 22 and the game's over by then. It was just one cigarette when I was 12. I thought it was a joke. By 15, I was smoking half a pack a day I've been smoking now for 42 years, and I just can't get rid of them. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to smoke two packs of cigarettes for the rest of my life. Conformity is subtle. It's a lifelong process. It's instilled within us by our family of origin. It's instilled within us by our workplaces and schools. Public school teacher sitting right here in front of me right now. You don't think she feels daily pressure to conform to what the DOE tells her she has to do? I've spoken with her. I've had had conversations as she has shared with how do I wrestle with being a Christian and what I'm being told to do? It's a lifelong process instilled by our family of origin, by our workplaces and schools by our neighborhoods and by our countries. By the programs we watch and the social media we consume, even by our churches. Right now, I'm forming you. Everybody has a liturgy. You get 30 to 40 minutes of me, which I have to try to leverage against 30 to 40 hours of television in the course of a week, in the course of your workplace, in the course of your family interactions. But instead, again, more next week, instead. I said last week that we're instead, Christians are instead people, not that but this, not that instead this, and here it is in 12 2. Instead, be transformed, not conformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you'd be tested, able to test and discern what the will of God is. And we know that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to lay that aside for now and come back to it if the good Lord is willing next week. Here's where we end. Insofar, insofar as professing Christians were present and active in our nation's capital this past week, I've been asking myself the following questions, and I invite you to reflect with me. That's all I'm doing right now. I'm inviting you into some soul-searching with me. I am not a I am not going to point fingers. But I am, as your pastor, going to invite you into a time of soul-searching. Insofar... As professing Christians were present and active in our nation's capital this past week. Personally, I invite you to wrestle like this with me. Was their behavior in line with what you've just heard from God's word? I this question is mine? Is, is yours? Marked by selfless, loving service to others. conformity to the world or to Christ. I'm wrestling with. I'm also a leader of a corporate gathering. I invite you in to questions like this. How do we explain? Because make no mistake about it, people watched, and they drew conclusions. How do we explain, how do we prepare to explain now to those watching how Christian flags... Like this one, right here on this platform with me right now. How do we explain to watching people how Christian flags like this one can fly in the same space as Confederate flags? How do we now explain how handwritten signs? Proclaiming that Jesus saves can be waved for all to see while a hangman's noose swings in the background. with the things that I know that exist in my life. Same. I'm beginning with the log in my own eye. Awaiting my own power and my own prejudices. Being my values and my violence. I appeal to you by the of God to do the same. i also God to reveal to me those things that I can't yet fully see, but that I know exist. Because I can't yet fully see them, I don't have a list of them but I appeal to you by the mercies of God to pray the same thing. Because like you heard me open in prayer, every single one of us has a set of glasses through which we view the world. And that, those glasses have a prescription that sees some things and doesn't see other things. I'm asking God to make us a healing community that seeks out and listens to brown and black brothers and sisters. I'm asking God to make us a healing community that speaks truth and love for the powerless and to the powerful moment to have all the answers i also don't pretend that i don't have the word of god and the spirit of god Because I do. And I take great comfort in knowing that God is eager to forgive and to transform those like me and you who offer themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And this alone, this alone is our blessed Hope. May the Lord have mercy on me, and may the Lord have mercy on you. Let's pray. We have a long way to go, dear Father. I confess that in the hearing of the beloved. And I pray that today might be a start of something. With, with more than a little intrepidation, oh God. I come before you, word in hand, asking you now to examine us, enable us to see what we can see and deal rightly with that. And in the days to come, dear God, would you please... Awaken us to those things that we cannot yet see. May we be courageous in desiring change. May we be courageous in being Godward. And working together not to conform to the pattern of this world. by your own mercies that you transform us and make us a healing community it'll be costly it'll be much to be your very heart be rest where we began, rooted in your character and compassion. God, for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.